Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Dissidents and Dictators, the flagship podcast from the Human Rights Foundation. My name is Casey Michelle, and alongside my unstoppable co-host, Alicia Maldonado. Say hi, Alicia. Hello. We've got a fantastic episode for you today. We're going to be talking about everything from how the dictatorship in Venezuela is suddenly threatening to invade its neighbor, to a spectacular case of Cuban espionage in the U.S., and even a bit about how the UAE continues to open its doors to Vladimir Putin. So strap in, because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Hi, Alicia. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? Well, I'm doing okay. I want to say happy holidays. Tis the season. Tis the season. You having fun? I am. We had a little bit of snow yesterday, which was very delightful for me. I love the cold weather, and yeah. I love the snow. That was lovely. That was lovely. It was a and, little chilly. And I got a tree. Oh, you got a tree? And I got a tree yesterday. Oh, my goodness. For the yeah, first we time. A, we don't have a tree. Just, uh, just anything interesting about this tree? Well, he's very cute. He? Yeah, it's a he. Oh. His, he's got a name as well. Oh, he does have do a name. Do you want to hear it? Uh, I, I, yeah, yes, I do. It's Treater Dinklage. Treater Dinklage. Isn't that great? From... Treater! I didn't... Treater! <laughs> this, is, this is... You bought him because he was named Treater Dinklage? He, that was listed on the, yeah. on, the, on, the, on the asking price there? Yeah. You didn't come up with that? I didn't. I did. You did. We did. We did. My friend did. Is this? Is this? this, Oh, it's something new. Not name your trees. I was gonna. I was gonna. So the tree watches a lot of Game of Thrones. I'm assuming. Of course, and it survived. Do I name my trees? You don't name your trees. I dress them in ornaments. I don't think I've ever ever named them. You don't personalize them. No. You don't talk to them. No, I don't have that kind of emotional bond with with, with the tree. Is this something you do? All the time. Uh, My best friend and I, when we (laughs) live together, we name our trees. uh, And her husband was the best at them. So we had um, one year, Miley Cypress. Well, yeah, sure. Spruce Springsteen. Spruce, but the boss right there. Chris Pine. Well, okay, loved him in Star Trek. There's some more. Yeah. Um, We had Dresden Trito. Justin Trudeau. Well, now we're talking Canadian politics. Also, my celebrity crush, Gordon Ramstree. Oh, Gordon Ramstree. Well, that's a lot of tree right there. <laughs> Trelon Musk, Cedar Parker. Well, that's that's certainly one. So what Cedar Parker? Yeah. Yeah, swinging through the streets of, of Manhattan there. Good name. I'm picturing a tree just shooting out its webs. And of course, to be, uh-huh. you know, on brand, Trudeau Parker will be wearing some One Direction. Christmas ornaments just to be on brand. Treater Parker will be wearing some One Direction Christmas. Oh, Treater Dinklage. Oh, Treater Dinklage. Treater Dinklage. I was going to say Treater Parker might be covered head to toe in a Spider-Man outfit. And that was Cedar Parker. Get the names right, Casey. I know that I'm just throwing them at you now. There's so many. Um, I don't know a lot about trees. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Anyways. Uh, Can we talk about the glasses that you're wearing really quickly? Oh, we can. Certainly. Look, here's the thing. So we have a a very dear sweet friend of the podcast, uh, a lovely young woman named Claudia Bennett. Who you may have mentioned. And we're obsessed uh, with we, her we as much have, as we are with One Direction and Harry Styles. That's, exa- that's exactly right. Truly the Harry Styles of the office. Of the office, yeah. I can't not love Given her. Given her impact on fashion, uh, culture, and commentary yep. uh, in the Human Rights Foundation uh, community. So shout out again to Claudia. we got to have her on the podcast. We have to have her on the podcast. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Maybe after the holidays. But you do look... So you're wearing her sunnies. Yes, I am. Um, they look very um, Elton Johnny. Uh, yes, they are. Which that's, goes that, against what I recently had this moment of trying to figure out who your doppelganger was or oh, and i oh figured no. it out oh, no i don't want to hear this is, is it uh is it uh, someone extremely handsome yes is it denzel washington and incredibly talented patrick dempsey you're probably brad you're pitt. close i'm assuming brad pitt i don't know if you're gonna i don't know how you're gonna respond to this it? so this is very exciting michael buble michael buble oh i've been listening to a, a lot of michael buble the last few days do you see it do you see it omar it is the season oh. 
Yes. I don't know. This came to me. Omar agrees that uh, Casey has some Michael Bublé. You know, I'm a he, I, 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 yeah, well, boy, now that I'm looking at photos of Michael Bublé, I tell you, I tell you, I, I may have, I may have the, the eyebrows and, and maybe even the cheekbones. I don't have the voice. But you have the charm. Well, hey, look, that's quite the compliment. That's true. For me, at least. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I may have the charm, but I don't have the creative juices when it comes to naming, naming trees. You know, no, the, you can't I, tell I, about I, that talent. I start and stop with, with my good friend, Doug, <laughs> the, the Doug Fur. Doug Fur. Of course. Um, but, you know, speaking well, I mean, to of... To be fair, my, my friends are the ones who are the experts at naming them. So well, look, I just got to share great, in the tree. Great taste in, in friends, clearly. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the naming doesn't stop with just the trees. No. Well, my friend has a... <laughs> he has um, a lot of the scooter things. Yeah, scooters. I believe and we're going to get there, but he called... Do you, well, oh, no. I don't want to... Do I want to know? Vladimir Scootin'. Stop. Stop. You know, it's ridiculous. That's that's uh, that's fine. You know, what a, what a way to honor the guy. If only he'd gone into scooter manufacturing. You know, I know. Been a lot it's so silly. I love place. it so much. But that's uh, that's OK. Look, I mean, it's good to have friends and it's good to have a little bit of creativity behind you yeah. uh, and propelling you forward. Uh, certainly, it's a better way to spend your time than uh, I think what's been going on down in Venezuela. Let's talk about Venezuela. Again, boy, the segues on this podcast. Uh, we are just expert in Our the segues. second, second, second to none. Now we have to think of a nickname for a segue. Anyway. Well, anyways, hey, that's a type of scooter. Maybe it is. That could be a Vladimir scooter. A scooting. Oh, boy. Because we're going to get oh, to scooting. Oh, boy. I'm going to Nicholas Maduro roll over and laugh. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Truly we'll awful. work on it. So something for you to uh, Omar, aspire thank to. Thank you for not walking out <laughs> on that. We appreciate it. Can't do it without you. No. Now you have a goal. You have a new life goal. Alish, what do you think about what's going on down in Venezuela? Oh well, it sounds like a good time, doesn't it? Oh, it sounds like a good time. If you're Nicolas Maduro, I don't know about anyone else down there. This is a, you know, they're trying to take over Guyana, um, which is a heavily contested area, as as Kibo, Kibo region. Um, Guyana recently found some offshore ridges, and Caracas has, has decided, well, we'll actually have those. Thank you very much. Never mind that the boundary lines were drawn by international arbiters over a century ago. You know, I, I think a lot of folks maybe, I mean, certainly on my end, you know, this kind of came out of nowhere, seemed to come out of mm. nowhere. But it turns out there's this incredibly rich history <laughs> that Maduro is claiming, as is properly Venezuela's, yep. in two-thirds of Guyana. They're two in northern thirds. South America. Two-thirds popula- of the country. Like that's what, yeah, like 17% of the population? Well, it's a, a significant amount. It's yeah. a significant indigenous population in right. the region as well. And it just so happens that this is taking place shortly after offshore oil riches were discovered right. in the region. And then, oh, by the way, while Maduro is facing what appears to be his first kind of serious contestation for power, at least potentially, in years, right? Venezuela has not seen any kind of truly contested politics. I mean, frankly, mm-hmm. for decades at this point. We think back to the, the rise of the Chavista regime, you know, early 21st century, obviously continuing through Maduro's reign itself. And all of a sudden, here comes Maduro setting up this nationwide referendum right. on whether and then beyond that how Venezuela should, as Maduro sees it, rightfully claim two-thirds of Guyana as Venezuela's. And then beyond that, um, uh, uh, organize uh, the military uh, along the Guyanese border to threaten invasion and uh, claim these riches and this land as Venezuela's. I mean, it is really something we haven't seen, certainly well, in Latin America and South America, for years. Reading about this, I, I mean, it's funny if it, if it weren't so tragic. Apparently, 
you know, Caracas has ordered mass arrests for those who oppose the annexation of Guyana for its new oil riches. So 95% of voters voted in favor of it. Well, no kidding. Well, of and even... I uh, wonder why. Yeah, right, right, right. Here, here we are talking about elections in, in authoritarian regimes and dictatorships. I, I think it's worth a little bit further context. Yes, it was 95% voted. There's only like 10% turnout, though. Right. You can still falsify and fabricate the results, but you still can't at least at this point in Venezuela, force the people to actually vote at the ballot box. So we're still talking about a tiny slice of the population that still saw presumably some part of that you know, final vote actually fabricated right. in favor of what Maduro actually wants. Well, and of course, you know, this has been uh, an area, a bit of land that has been contested over the years. And, you know, Venezuelans have been told that, you know, for years that... Uh, that it is theirs, but it's kind of been this way for 100-something years, and now, of course, they found these riches, and so they want them. Look, we're going back to 19th century arbitration decisions that Maduro right. is citing. Two centuries ago that this has been, okay, yes, contested, sure, fine. But we're talking about decisions in the 1890s that Maduro is suddenly digging up. And again, I think taking the 10,000-foot-level view Talking about domestic politics in Venezuela, Maduro clearly using this as a means of shoring up domestic support, whipping up a kind of nationalistic frenzy to distract from what he and his family and his inner circle and his regime have been doing to Venezuelans for years. And before that, what Chavez was doing to Venezuelans for years, stealing from the people, immiserating an entire nation, sparking the greatest out-migration mm -hmm. the Western Hemisphere has ever seen. All right, let's not pretend that any of the Venezuelan citizens will will reap any of the, quote, benefits no, of, of these riches, but because you can still look in, in uh, mal malnutrition and hospitals that don't even have uh, proper equipment and uh, starvation, so uh, no, of course. It's not, they're not going to be reaping any No, of course they are not. I mean, this is going to be something that is directed only at the regime, its benefactors, its inner circle, because this is what we have been seeing for years and years and years. And I think back a couple years ago, I was covering um, a, a transnational money laundering case um, right here in the United States mm. of America. We don't have to go into too many of the details, but it was connected directly to the state-controlled oil uh, company out of Venezuela, PDVSA, that was uh, using um, uh, currency exchanges to transform a hydrocarbon wealth, in this case oil wealth, into, um, you know, from local currency into, into U.S. dollars. And it just so happened to be benefiting Again, not the people of Venezuela, not even necessarily the shareholders in PDVSA, mm -hmm. but the ruling regime. In this case, the stepsons of Maduro were named specifically in the indictment. It was a it was a $1.2 billion money laundering scheme. Uh, the stepsons of Maduro were named. Maduro himself was not named specifically, but he was Venezuelan official number two in this case. I don't remember who necessarily Venezuelan <laughs> official number one. But again, the ruling family dipping their hands into the hydrocarbon, the oil, the natural wealth of Venezuela, using it, swiping it, stealing it, and then moving it elsewhere, in this case, into the United States of America for all the goods and baubles that kleptocratic regimes are always purchasing, the luxury mansions. There was there was a horse farm that was involved in one of them. Oh, my I, goodness. I, I'm not a big horse guy, but it turns out <gasps> oh, that there's a lot of money in horses. I love horses. Um, but uh, uh, again, even though, or especially because Maduro is spouting these supposed, you know, socialistic, for-the-people bits mm -hmm. of rhetoric, and yet all the while he's the exact same as all the other authoritarian kleptocratic regimes elsewhere in the 
Russia's, in the China's, in the Azerbaijan's Azerbaijan's of the world. Oh, who, by the way, are also now, as we've seen in recent years, resorting to external aggression, Mm -hmm. claiming neighboring countries' territories uh, as their own, as a means of distracting local populations, as a means of deterring further investigations, and as a means of whipping up the kind of nationalistic frenzy that really is their only card left to play. Right. What do you think of um, the U.S. saying that it's going to conduct flight drills with Guyana? Look, this is getting into the kind of the more security space. Um, to the best of my knowledge, there is no formal security arrangement with U.S. Right, Guyanese. No. It's not like Guyana is part of uh, NATO or whatnot. But I think what we have seen in terms of the response thus far has been encouraging, whether right. it's out of yep. Brazil, whether it's out of the U.S., in terms of maintaining what is, you know, effectively a status quo, at least as it pertains to international relations and internationally recognized borders. Because what we have right. seen over the past few years, whether it is Russia Russia in Ukraine, whether it is Azerbaijan, potentially in Armenia, whether it is China, potentially in Taiwan, is over and over and over again. These authoritarian, kleptocratic regimes, you know, this pattern has mm-hmm. emerged where they are resorting to the kind of external aggression, you know, revanchism, irredentism, imperialism, whatever term you'd like to use for it. Right. Swiping their neighbor's territory and then, oh, by the way, not stopping there. And I, I, again, I, this is maybe getting a little, uh, you know, over our skis or ahead of our skis or whatever the phrase about skis is. <laughs> right. I suspect that if Venezuela does go through this, if the Maduro regime does go through this, the pattern is going to be what we've seen before. They will not stop at two-thirds of Guyana. Keep on charging. Um, whether it's in Colombia, whether you know, wherever it might be, this is what these regimes do time and time and time again with, and without pushback from the democracies of the world. That's exactly right. We are That's only going right. to see this yep. continue and proliferate around the world. It's up to the international community to band together and stand strong. That's a exactly. A red rubber that they can't break. That's exactly right. And then, oh, by the way, I think maybe uh, sparking a few more investigations and even indictments into what the Maduro regime and especially the Maduro family has been doing with all of Dig their ill-gotten in. gains around the world, um, including in the West, including places like the United States of America, where unfortunately so much of this money ends up coming home. Um, speaking of the United States of America. Yes. There was another headline that I saw just the other day, again, related to how it is that these regimes, authoritarian, kleptocratic, dictatorial regimes, target and manipulate democracies, infiltrate democracies, and then end up swaying the policymaking community in places like Washington, some of which we don't necessarily always think of first and foremost, not necessarily just the Russias and the Chinas or even the Irans of the world. There was another case just this week, Alicia, out of out of Cuba? The delicious, delicious story. What a delicious story. I mean, I was a Cuban for delicious food. Oh, well, boy, Cuban this food. story, absolutely delicious. What do we know about it? Oh, okay. So we have a retired State Department official who apparently has been working for decades as a secret agent for Cuba and was wildly successful, turns out, um, apparently referring to the United States as the enemy. What I found really interesting in this story, and um, we have believing ties in here somewhere. You'll have to remind me of that. Um, but when I was reading it, I found it really interesting in that um, while working for Cuba in the United States, that he was encouraged to be right wing. Yeah, <laughs> I just think yeah. that's such a fascinating so, little tendril of this story. So there was an indictment in Miami. Yeah, go on. Just the other day with so many delicious, juicy, almost, you know, too good to be true details about this gentleman, Manuel Rocha. 
who'd been working for 40 years in the U.S. State Department, was one of the highest-ranking State Department officials focused on Cuba and then broader Caribbean and Latin American affairs. He briefly worked in the White House as well. Yeah, he had plenty of hats at some of the highest rungs of the American policymaking community. And it turns out he was recruited by Cuban intelligence 40 years ago, 41 years ago. 41 years ago. And as part of that, as you just mentioned, at least, encouraged to be, encouraged to pose as this, um, you know, incredibly dedicated anti-Castro regime, anti-Havana figure year in, year out. And apparently... I mean, again, given how long this has been going on, did so wildly successfully. Well, even so, that uh, Havana saying that he strengthened the revolution. Strengthened the revolution. And again, this is so much of what we know about his case was caught because of a counter-espionage um, uh, investigation into a lot of this was caught on tape. Now, again, these are all allegations. Wait to, to, to see what the court of law has to say. But uh, you know, you have, you have video and audio recordings of this guy saying the U.S. is the enemy. He has helped strengthen the revolution, presumably Havana's revolution. I mean, it just goes on. Yeah, you know, so he was a native of Colombia, but he grew up in New York. But he had early socialist kind of leanings, and so they, uh, it was easy to uh, to get him to one side, to Cuba's side. But also, I find it just impressive, these stories, as we all do, because they seem so fantastical, that you can get away with something like this for so many decades, um, especially at the highest echelons, um, and then you just get taken down by... By a well, a recording, but I guess sure, FBI sure, sure. sort of thing that was months long, I suppose. So and, and and look, I think you're so smart for so many decades, and then and then somehow you get caught. You just yeah, uh, all it takes is one slip up. That's right, and, and it does. And 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 to the American counterintelligence services credit, uh, you know, they finally found a way and a means of again allegedly uh, supposedly exposing this longest serving agent. Um, well, Garland said. Uh, the American exposes, Attorney General. American Attorney General, sorry. Uh, exposes one of the highest-reaching and longest-lasting infiltrations of the U.S. government by a foreign agent. Yeah, it is, uh, again, it's difficult to overstate how spectacular this case is. And not spectacular for how wonderful and incredible this is, but for the the breadth of this campaign, of this effort itself, as well as the success that this individual and beyond that the Cuban mm. spy services had in Washington. Um, you know, as you said, it was one of the longest landing uh, infiltrations. There's a piece in the New York Times um, uh, describing this where he said the gentleman, and this is a, a, a former diplomat saying, this gentleman, Rocha, literally had the keys to the kingdom. And if it had, if anything had to do with, with Cuba and the American policymaking community, Rocha was exposed to it. He saw it and presumably infiltrated or filtrated that back to Cuba. I mean, it is, we're going to be sifting through how much this gentleman knew for months, if not years to come. And I, I do think it's worth, again, also mentioning that this is hardly the only infiltration for an espionage, for an influence campaign we have seen in the United States of America. One of the things in recent years, one of the things that stood out to me is one of the charges this diplomat is now facing is um, something that's uh, known as Section 951, which is, again, I don't think Go a on, lot of folks are necessarily going to, be, uh, 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 going to be familiar with this. It's kind of known as espionage light. Okay. It bleeds into foreign lobbying, and I, I do a lot of work on the foreign lobbying space. It's not generally understood as lobbying per se, but there is other elements of influence to it. So it, it is kind of the marriage of espionage and lobbying, uh, which is one of the things that he is accused of. And the reason that I'm familiar with it, the reason mm-hmm. that jumped off the page for me, is that this is the same charge that a, um, a young Russian woman named Maria Butina faced just a few years ago Tell us about the in case. the United States of America. And folks may be familiar with her name and her case uh, if they remember some of the coverage relating to 
uh, Russia's infiltration of a number of organizations in the United States of America in the early and mid-2010s, most especially the National Rifle Association. I definitely was not paying attention to that story, and so I'm going to need you to This was uh, an unfortunate story in which it really appeared that the NRA, which was at the time, and maybe still is, um, the leading uh, arms rights, gun rights uh, lobbying organization in the United States. Again, the United States of America has the Second Amendment. It allows uh, Americans the rights to, um, as the Constitution says, bear arms. This is what this organization was focused on and appeared to simply open their arms to this young Russian woman that came to their door and said, we support you. I'd like to do what we can to open uh, new avenues for you, potentially market resources in Russia as well. If only you'll help me gain access to the American political system. And so all of a sudden, thanks to her efforts with the National Rifle Association, we had NRA members going to Moscow, meeting with sanctioned individuals, presumably having conversations of their own with American policymakers to maybe lift sanctions or open new doors in Russia. I mean, she was flying on private jets. She was elevated to such a status in parts of the American political community Unbelievable. that I have certainly never been <laughs> available to me. I mean, these are, again, meeting with the highest rungs of those, um, especially on the conservative side, in the United States mm -hmm, of America, mm -hmm. who unfortunately didn't think two ways about why it was that this young Russian woman who had her, you know, again, they didn't have to do much due diligence. Uh, go to her YouTube channel. You could see her uh, you know, singing praises of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of um, pro-Putin militias. I mean, over right and over. Right under your nose. Right under your nose. They were just suckered by this woman, which it appears to be, again, what the What's happened here? Cuban agents, you know, contacts were also just suckered by this guy claiming to be, you know, anti-socialist, anti-Havana without thinking too much about it. You just have to think about the kind of life, I mean, think about uh, this guy, Rocha, um, what kind of life internally you're living. I don't know, my mind just goes right there, outside of the obvious, you know, abuses, but the double life you have to live, how talented you have to be, and I do consider it a talent, to lie that flagrantly for that long. Yeah. Um, I well, can't look, imagine I mean, just, li like, just lying, like, you know, I'm a far right or whatever it is, and really your heart is elsewhere. You know, look, my heart goes out to, to the people that it can't, right? I mean, it's yeah. one thing to have the kind of national security breach. It's one thing to have this clear success that is unfortunately only going to strengthen, presumably going to strengthen the regime in, in Havana, which is, again, one of the longest standing dictatorships, mm -hmm. and certainly one of the most brutal, brutal dictatorships, at least in the Western Hemisphere, in the entire world. I mean, my heart goes out to the people that thought he was their friend, right. he was an ally in the fight. Um, and that he was someone worth worth confiding in. I mean, Alicia, uh, have you seen The Americans, the TV show? I have. Oh, I have done. I've not seen that. the last season, though. What are you waiting for? I don't know. I, oh, get off I, this podcast. I feel like at this point, stop I'm going to have to start at the trees. beginning. <laughs> the tree. I can't start naming the trees. Um, yeah, no, I, I really I like that, that show that a lot. Final season. But it's, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Like, that is fiction uh, illustrating what we've seen is now fact of these individuals in the television show's case and this gentleman in, uh, unfortunately, real life, uh, spending decades posing as someone else, something else, and conning all of those that they came across. Can't imagine doing it. No, no, no. And, of course, it just feeds what really grinds the gears, of course, uh, is that it really feeds the egos of these dictators and these authoritarians to say, you know, we actually have something on on you, United States of America, or well, wherever exactly it is, right. you know? So... 
I'm going to be even more difficult to deal with because I, I know what's going on. Well, that's exactly right. And certainly that's something that we saw with Russia and the United States of America over the past few years. This young woman, Maria Butina, was hardly the only individual that was acting as the kind of spear point for their infiltration efforts. We saw this across the spectrum, whether it was targeting far left Americans, targeting white nationalist Americans. And again, this is also taking place in European jurisdictions mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and then beyond that, what we've seen out of countries like China. I mean, it has been, unfortunately, success after success with so many democracies asleep at the wheel. And I, I don't want to derail the conversation, but really pulling back to the highest level of what this podcast is about, what Human Rights Foundation is about, it is reminding the democracies of the threat that these dictators pose. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, the successes these dictators have had because we have been asleep at the wheel for so long. Right, right. Um, and again, we also see the dictatorships coming together, working in tandem, working in concert with one another, which I think is what we wanted to talk about as a final topic. Yes, let's get into it. In this podcast today, the recent visit Putin. of... Putin? Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Putin. excuse me, I meant to say, obviously, <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Um, uh, I, I, as memory serves, I also saw a kid's book recently. Now, I may have had a dream about this, uh, about Vladimir Putin. Um, now, that may be an idea for HRF moving forward. Yeah. A kid's book, uh, you know, cutting these dictators down and, you know, helping like kids understand idea. why it is that democracies are always preferable to dictatorships. I love it. We'll have to workshop some of these other <laughs> As you can tell, I'm not quite so good at coming up with these names. Well, we'll but, work on it. But Vladimir Putin. The mm -hmm. longstanding Russian dictator, um, you, you know, wanted ICC criminal, um, uh, uh, you know, and the greatest threat to certainly European uh, security in uh, decades was in uh, the United Arab Emirates just, uh, just the other day, hanging out in Dubai with uh, a lot of other folks friends. that are in, in, in Dubai there for the um, uh, COP28 climate conference. Boy, it seems like this guy can still travel pretty freely to uh, the United Arab Emirates. And not only that, have a full cavalry escort and motorcade, while a national aerobatics team drew the Russian flag in the sky. Sorry, with a national what team? Trails. A a aerobatics. Aerobatics. That made me laugh when I read that. Good How God. absolutely absurd. Sorry, and he's drew wanted, the by the, wanted by the ICC. Yeah. Uh, as folks may remember, wasn't able to travel to South Africa recently. Um, hasn't the, left, ha, hasn't reportedly left Moscow till, since March. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I believe he's only, maybe only visited Kyrgyzstan. Maybe there was one other trip in there as well. Uh, and all of a sudden he's popping up in the middle of, frankly, a global conversation in Dubai. And they are, what, rolling out the red carpet for this Ro guy. A whole cavalcade, apparently. And he'll also be hitting Saudi Arabia, I, I believe, on this trip. So Yeah, yeah. well, uh, boy, it's nice to travel anywhere and have your name written in the sky. Unbelievable. Um, so, uh, at least I know we're going to be talking about this in a, in a, in a later episode That's right. of the podcast. UAE, I thought this was a supposed Western Democratic partner, maybe not Allegedly. a democracy itself. And yet, what? It's welcoming this guy with open arms and then... Oh, by the way, acting as a brand new hub, maybe the greatest hub for Russian sanctions evasion, Russian money laundering, yeah. and um, reports of potentially even uh, uh, financing Russian private military uh, companies. When I was there, when I was in the Emirates last year, the overall impression that I got was that the United States hasn't been that good of a friend to the UAE, and so therefore we have pushed, <laughs> we have pushed them into the arms of Russia and China because China is trying to 
to build all sorts of things and, and give infrastructure. And of course, as um, they said, Russia's main economic partner in the Arab world is the UAE now. So, but but we've done that um, by not being a very good friend. I'm that sorry. Was the overarching is, they are blaming the United States of America for transforming into the go-to money laundering hub. That was for Russian the oligarchs, Russian officials, and frankly, plenty of other kleptocratic regimes around yeah. the world. I hate to say it, they sound like an abuser, right? Like blaming the... <laughs> That's right. Oh, you're making me act this way. You pushed you're me this way. You're forcing us yeah. to do this. And I ended up writing a piece on that, kind of like, if the United States wants a better relations with the UAE, we have to do better, apparently, because we're pushing them this way. Um, but, and we get into that in a, in a later episode. They have episodes. their they own have agency. They yeah. make their own, you know, it's funny. And again, I know we'll be talking about this in further detail, but it does remind me of other infiltration efforts. We have a forthcoming report here at uh, Human Rights Foundation looking specifically at the UAE's role in launching one of, if not the greatest, political influence and infiltration efforts in the United States of America. Stay tuned for that, folks. Yep. Um, it is, uh, you know, I, 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 it is remarkable, right? Because I still don't think the UAE is usually lumped in in popular imagination with other dictatorships Elsewhere, it has been second to none, really, as it pertains to image laundering and whitewashing its own image, yeah. and yet here we are. They, they upkeep that duality pretty well, I think. Uh, the, you know, middling with uh, with China and Russia, but also keeping a face of maybe we're not so bad. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah, opening doors to any, any and all. And um, yeah, again, talk about democracies being asleep at the wheel. Uh, certainly seems like it's past time for Western, in this case, American officials to have conversation with their Emirati counterparts and say, what are you guys doing? You know, it's the very... What, what side do you want to be on? It's the very simple phrase, do better, sure. you know? Let's do better. Sure, and that's what we're trying to do with this yeah. podcast every day, or at least every Thursday. Every Thursday. That's exactly right. Before we let you go, I'd like to tell you about an award the Human Rights Foundation's Where Your Values program has been nominated for. It's called an Anthem Award, which is a brainchild of the prestigious Webby Awards, the largest and most comprehensive social impact awards honoring individuals and organizations doing purpose and mission-driven work. Our video, which has been nominated, highlights the fashion industry's complicity in human rights abuses worldwide, focusing on Uyghur forced labor. It features award-winning Swedish designer Louise Zinn's fashion show at the 2023 Oslo Freedom Forum, Uyghur advocate Juhar Ilham, and HRF's Discounted Lives Installation and Fashion Week projection campaign. We would love for you to vote for uh, this award, and we uh, will put the link in our show notes and uh, give us some love. Well, Alish, that was a fun one. I had a good time. Now, can I tell you something before we go? Uh, yeah. I spent that entire episode thinking about tree names. Oh, really? I did, did you come up with that? No, I did not. I mean, there's Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Oak. Okay. That, that works. Um, if you like 1970s rock, there's the Almond Brothers Band, mm. which my dad would be very into. But I, I was thinking, I was thinking of one. There was one before we go. There's a there's a tree in Southeast Asia. It's called the Rambutan. It's a fruit fruit growing. A Rambutan. Rambutan. And that How do is. How you know about this tree? Well, I don't. You know, you 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 live your life and you pick up little <laughs> weird factoids here and there. Who who knows? But it is. Um, and I was thinking about this word because you, you know it's 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 the Malay. It's a Malay word. Um, yeah, rambutan, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything rambutan, but it's a Malay word that means hair. Okay. Because the fruits have little kind of hairs coming off of them. And I was, I was thinking, you know, I guess if I was in Southeast Asia and I had that as a tree, I mean, that could be a hair styles <gasps> I love tree right it. there. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out <gasps> there. 
Um, I mean, that's certainly one direction you could go uh, in. I believe in always going one direction. Wow. So, I know. Anyways. All right. Well, uh, let's always talk about one direction. Absolutely. Forever and ever, amen. It's what the folks that's want. It's a Randy Travis reference as well. Okay. Two musical references. Oh, I love that Boom. musical note. I like doing this with you, Casey. We're having fun. We're having fun. Thanks, Alicia. Thanks. We'll see everyone next week. Bye. The Human Rights Foundation is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that promotes and protects human rights globally with a focus on closed societies. We promote freedom where it's most at risk in countries ruled by authoritarian regimes.